Welcome to the Upper Left Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Anderson, and today on the show, I'm joined by Memphis Grizzlies head strength and conditioning coach, Eric Schmidt. I brought Eric onto the show to discuss energy systems development as I feel that he's really got a great handle on what is a very complicated process by the by most models' accounts. Uh, when I look at things like the glycogen shunt model and some of the newer stuff uh, that's out there in terms of energy systems development, I find it to be a little bit confusing. Um, I do feel like my handle on it has gotten better over time. However, I felt like Eric could really fill in some fill in the dots for me, connect or connect some, connect the dots for me rather, uh, and he did just that, really simplifying my thought process a lot in terms of how to prescribe uh, conditioning for team sport athletes and what goes into uh, some of the underlying mechanisms in terms of oxygen as the currency for all three energy systems and how it's the delivery and utilization of oxygen play key roles in increased performance. We also talk about breath work uh, and exercise testing, so what tests he's been uh, going through recently on himself, what he's been finding from them, and then also uh, how to work in uh, more efficient nasal breathing with exercise, which is obviously a topic that we've covered here uh, numerous times on the podcast. It's something that is very near and dear to my heart, so it's always fun to loop that in towards the end of the show as well. Um, Eric's a tremendous guy. He was incredibly thoughtful and and well-versed on this topic. And I know that for me, I now have a much clearer picture going forward of how to kind of eliminate some of the, the background noise that comes with uh, the tremendous amount of research that's been done on this subject to simplify my processes and get something out there that's clear and concise for the athlete to accomplish the task at hand. Um, I also really liked thinking about uh, the research aspect of this, which while we have a ton of research on a lot of this stuff, Eric really stresses that each task we do is going to, uh, you know, depending on the task, is going to affect uh, kind of our body's response in terms of uh, oxygen utilization and delivery, um, and that all the tests and things that we're doing uh, to measure fitness tr- cannot truly replace what is the, the game or the sport or the specific task for performance itself. And at the end of the day, we need to really be cognizant of that and ensure that everything we're doing. Uh, is geared towards what we're seeing uh, potentially go wrong on the court to help improve performance there. So without further ado, here is Eric Schmidt. It was a great podcast. Hope you all enjoy. Share it with some friends. Leave a review on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast there. Thank you, and let's get to it. Eric, thanks a lot, man, for uh, for joining the show. Really appreciate you coming on. I know your schedule is crazy in this time of uh, time of coronavirus and the NBA season, so appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. How, how is that going, by the way? I'm curious, like with the whole kind of the way things are going, no fans, not, not a bubble anymore. You're still traveling around. How, how is that? Do you like it? Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. I feel like everybody has their own version of, of like this time. That's pretty wild um, because it's so different than probably what, what everyone's used to, obviously. But uh, it's, you know, it's sort of the new norm, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. There's protocols that are, you know, that are in place that we kind of have to abide by. We test a lot. Um, We wear masks everywhere we go, Um, you know, and there's just certain protocols and how we work with players and stuff like that. It just kind of becomes the new norm. Um, But we're finally getting into, into some places that do allow fans like Memphis does allow fans. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's just pretty sparse, but at least there's, you know, other people in the, uh, in the seats now. So, uh, and some places do, but a lot of places still don't. So, 
it's um i guess it's just the new norm you know i don't know how long we're going to be living this this way but you know kind of used to it at this point yeah for sure man i I thought it was funny i saw a tweet the other day it was like dame or something like that was saying like oh i just saw my trainer's face for the first time are any guys not know what you actually look like right now because of the mask (laughs) yeah no it's that's i mean definitely true i wonder about like our our rookies that came in that haven't seen me without you know without a mask on so probably don't even really know what i look like (laughs) yeah it is funny man it is funny with all this but uh but cool, man. No. So before we dive into kind of, kind of some of the energy system stuff uh, that I wanted to talk about, just kind of take the listeners through just like a brief, like where you've been, where you are now, and uh, then we'll roll from there. Yeah. So I'm, I'm currently the, the head strength condition coach with the, the Memphis Grizzlies organization. Uh, I'm going on my, my second year here. So I got here in December of uh, 2019. So right before all this stuff went down, um, welcome then, to the uh, show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, welcome. And then before this, I spent three years at UC Santa Barbara uh, as the director of sports performance. And then prior to that, I was at UCLA. Um, I was an assistant athletic performance coach. Spent about three and a half years at, in UC, at UCLA. And then uh, before that, I was in school. So I went to uh, Springfield College for my graduate work. Got a master's degree in strength and conditioning. Uh, did internships while I was out there. So my, my two big internships were at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning uh, and then at, uh, with the San Jose Sharks. And then uh, prior to that, I was in at a, an undergrad and I went to undergrad at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So just right up the way from, from Santa Barbara where you're at. And that's kind of, uh, that's where I got my start was really in, uh, in San Luis Obispo where I kind of figured out the, the route that I was on, um, in terms of strength conditioning. So I'm originally from California. So, um, you know, born and raised. So, so Massachusetts was a, was a, was a big problem for you. Problem and, and yeah, Tennessee and Memphis, Tennessee is a, you know, <laughs> I mean, going from Santa Barbara to, to Memphis, Tennessee is about a, I don't know many people that do that. It's a big difference. <laughs> Bro. Yeah. It's, I've been here a year now and it's like, I don't know if I could move at this point. Yeah. It's just oh my so nice. <laughs> what a dream it is. Right. It's unbelievable there. I know, man. But anyways, let's get into the, get into the important stuff here. Um, like I said, wanted to talk about energy system development with you. I know uh, you've done a lot of work with the Moxie and whatnot, and I'm sure that's probably changed your thought process and shifted it away from the traditional way we view uh, the energy systems like an undergrad when we get our textbooks and stuff like that. And I was really curious kind of like where your head is at, like in your overall thoughts on like your energy system model right now and, and how these systems interplay with each other. Yeah, it's a, I mean, that's a big question because it's like everything is, is requires energy, right? Anything to that we, that we do it's worthwhile requires energy, thought, movement, all that stuff. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I did like, I did my grad work on, on a, uh, bioenergetics as well. And, and even thinking about how I used to view the process of how our body, you know, generates energy, um, was a pretty, I guess, you know, conventional, the conventional approach, I guess, is, is this dualistic model that's predicated on time and the, and the dualistic process of, okay, we have aerobic processes and then we have anaerobic processes. And there's this sort of time frame where, you know, each one of those is going to predominate, um, and so when I, the way I used to think about it was, okay, we have these different systems, right? You have the PCR system, you have the glycolytic system, then you have the oxidative system. And if I'm doing anything for 10 seconds, then I'm going to be using PCR and that's pretty much it. If I'm doing anything between 10 and two minutes, I'm pretty much using, you know, the glycolytic system and then anything beyond that now it's all oxidative. And so 
Um, that's sort of how I viewed things. And it's, it's really changed quite a bit, I guess, as I, as I got more educated on um, what's actually occurring from a physiological standpoint. And then that's been supported with this device of the Moxie. So learning from guys like Eric Otter, uh, Aaron Davis, Brian Kozak, those guys have really exposed me to a different way to view these things and um, really presented the limits of the conventional approach uh, because especially in cyclic sports where there is no, like, it's not like you're just going out and doing one activity and you're just running, you know, starting from zero and just running till exhaustion. And there's this sort of like linear process occurring, like you're doing things, you know, stop, go, um, you know, back and forth. So, um, so the way that I view it now, I guess, is realizing the interconnectedness of those systems, right? So the, the PCR system, the glycolytic system and the oxidative system, like they work together to just try to, you know, try to help support the body to be able to generate energy. And the task and the intensity of that task is really going to determine, um, you know, the intensity of like the, the, the way that those systems kind of function. So at all times, you know, anytime you, you start an activity, you're going to be utilizing oxygen. I think Moxie, if you put a Moxie on, it'll just show you that really quickly. And so there isn't this like delay in like time to utilize oxygen as an energy source. Um, it could just utilize right away. And if you unpeel some of these, like some of the information of, of the energy systems, you realize that like, again, those systems are intertwined and we have technologies that can really view that in the research. So you see PCR and oxidative system, they roll together when one goes up, the other goes up, when one goes down, the other goes down. So again, you can't, you can't just like pull these things apart and, and look at them kind of, you know, dualistically, like, okay, one is predominating, the other is, is not kind of thing. They're always working together. So um, I guess like understanding that oxygen is always involved in the process is really useful, right? So if you just take oxygen, you say, okay, oxygen is involved in oxidative metabolism, uh, but it's also involved indirectly in the oxidation of lactate. Um, and lactate is the mandatory byproduct of glycolysis. So I can just basically view oxygen and its interaction through the body and what's occurring with that to give me an understanding of, of energetics, um, which gives me an understanding of how this athlete is, uh, is, is what strategy are they utilizing to accomplish the task from a bioenergetic standpoint? And again, Moxie allows me to do that. So that's why it becomes so useful. So again, I, I just think I used to look at things like, okay, there's these different systems that are interacting and there's different timeframes. Now I don't look at that. I just look at what's the intensity of the task and everything's sort of dependent on that intensity. And if I just look at this interaction of oxygen and what's occurring um, while they perform some tasks, and that gives me an idea as to uh, you know, how they're, again, how they're trying to solve, solve the problem of, of continuing to, to have that output through utilizing energy. So, so looking at that, then if we're looking at oxygen kind of as the linchpin to all of this, it kind of simplifies your ability then to see what limiting factors are involved with specific intensities, correct? Yeah, I think so. Like if you, I, I, I often try to think about, I need to visualize things to like, try to understand them. So I always think about like, uh, this uh, magic school bus approach of like, okay, if we just follow these oxygen molecules through this process of, you know, being outside the body to now getting inside the body and then going from the lungs into the blood and then getting from the blood to the muscle. And if we just sort of like follow this loop, this O2 loop and think about the systems that are involved in sort of getting the oxygen into the body and then all the way to the muscle and then expelling the byproducts from, you know, the energetic process. I think if we look at that, 
there's some there's some systems that are predominantly involved in that in that process. We think about the nervous system, the respiratory system, you know, the cardiac system, the circulatory system, and obviously the culmination of all this is the muscular system. So if we just sort of follow that is sort of how I try to do it and think about the interactions that are occurring, maybe we find uh, some kinks in the chain. There are some things that hold us up from continuing to generate energy. And again, there's the Moxie is a great technology because it maybe allows us to to see um, some of those things in real time. So here's kind of a, a more general question for me in my mind, like especially like originally reading a lot of like Mike Roberts and stuff where he talks about what is it? I think like widening the V or narrowing the V. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Do you remember that? Remember that he had like a post like 10 years ago, maybe more something like that, where it's, it almost kind of gave me the thought process of like, I, we are most of the sports we are involved in and not all, but most field sports, for example, we're involved in are going to be very aerobic, alactic in nature. And we almost want to like avoid that middle ground. And I think that gets further cemented in my head when you look at like, some of these guys that are very hooked on speed, like Derek Hansen or guys like that, where it's like, we just want to stay away from that middle intensity. However, for me thinking about this, it makes me feel like, well, at some point we have to touch those things to make them maybe more aerobically driven at some point. Right. Like, I don't know which you kind of get where I'm coming from with that. Like which end do we want to hit? Do we want to hit that aerobic end and keep things low intensity or do we actually need to push our aerobic capabilities into what used to be glycolytic for us. Does that yeah. make sense? I think so. I mean, I guess the way I view it is, is I think one of the foundational principles in our field is this power duration relationship, right? So it's so simple and basic that I think sometimes it gets overlooked, but the concept of like, if you do something with high, there's this, you know, there's power on one side on, on one part of the axis and there's duration on the other. And there's this inherent trade-off in biology where if you're doing something with high intensity, there's only a, a certain period of time you're able to sustain that intensity. And there's this trade-off. So then if I wanted to go for longer, I would have to decrease the output that I'm exercising at so that I could increase the duration. And so there's this inherent trade-off that creates this continuum that I think about when it comes to especially energetics. And so it just depends on the task. If I want to create a high levels of, of output, then I'm only going to be able to do that for a short period of time. And then I'm going to, if I really want to train that quote unquote system, then I would have to then interspace rest periods. I would have to manage the volume that I'm doing there because really everything is just this function of intensity that is dependent on force and time. And so it's sort of, if I think about the energetics and I just say, okay, everything is working at once, then, you know, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to look at things and say, well, what, what component of this process do I want to, to, uh, to train, then I just have to keep that trade off in my mind and say, okay, I'm just basically going to apply intensity at this point on the curve. And I'm going to prescribe a protocol that's going to maximize that component of the curve. And then if I wanted to work in another part of the curve, then I would have to decrease the output and I would just have to plot okay, I'm going to do work at this point in, in the curve. And so it's just balancing that relationship, I think. So in terms of like the middle ground, you know, it depends on the sport. Like a lot of sports do require you to have to operate along this, this kind of continuum. If I'm, if I'm a sprinter, I never really have to tap into certain components of that, right? Because my, my, my sole purpose is to enhance my maximal output in a short period of time. And I never, my, my sport doesn't demand that I have to operate you know, technically or tactically and another part, part of that process. 
But if I'm a basketball player, then I, I definitely have to now have a little bit more variability in my in my metabolics because I have to be able to manage different components of, of that. I have to be able to have high outputs that are sustainable for long periods of time, but I also have to have this, there's this volume component to the sport where I have to have lower outputs that I'm able to sustain for long periods of time as well. So I sort of look at it that way. And I think, you know, you get a lot from looking at extremes. Like, so if you just, just train like the high end and the low end, maybe those things in the middle sort of match up. Um, and I do think there's probably some, some truth to that just based on how like you end up plotting your training process. But I hope that makes sense. Cause that's sort of how I just Dude, think about that's, it. that makes so much sense. Actually, that simplifies it a lot in my head. Um, yeah, and, and that's that the extreme thing you mentioned at the end is exactly what I think. Like for a long time, I was like, well, if we hit both of those things, we will meet up in the middle. But recently I've just started to think, well, what if, cause I'm not a very like high work capacity person. Like I do spend a lot of time, like in that, uh, I guess like log rest periods, as much output as I could get type of type of way. Mm. I've started to realize as I've trained a little bit more, I guess, in that middle part of the continuum over the last few weeks, I'm like, boy, I suck at this. Like I still have to expose myself to these things sometimes yeah. in order to get the benefits, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, it, you look at like, I just think of the sport I'm in right now. Like these guys have to, they have to operate. They have to be able to perform uh, under those conditions. Right. Because different, again, different parts of that, that continuum and having to work there for longer periods of like long periods of time, it's, it's going to put your body through some stress, you know, and those systems are being stressed like all together. Right. So if I just work the high part of the curve, I might just stress my muscular system, my nervous system, but I don't really, there's not much respiratory demand there. There's not much, you know, cardiovascular demand there, but if I stretch that out, you know, and I work for a longer period of time, then those, those systems are becoming stressed and that changes the way my body feels and changes the way that, that I'm, I'm able to, you know, again, perform these technical tactical skills under those conditions. So I think it is important to expose yourself to those conditions and then, you know, be able to perform under those conditions. Cause that's what the sport demands. A hundred percent. And like you said, with this, if you're just looking at things in terms of power and duration over time, if time is a, I guess you can still call it a constraint or whatever, or something that's going to start to limit that output, like if you don't have experience trying to express output under those conditions and longer periods of time, I, I feel like that could be problematic specifically for a sport like basketball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. No, that's, that's actually really helpful. I, I have a little graph in my head now of just putting sports down the line of the continuum. <laughs> Seeing, like, yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to throw that out to throw something like that together. I've, I've, it's definitely a good visual, like at least in my own head, we'll see, we'll see how it translates over to an actual graph, but, uh, but yeah, no. So, um, moving kind of a little bit back towards that oxygen thing, what are some of the, and I've talked about this in the show with a couple other guests before, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it too. Some of the rate limiting factors when we're looking at a moxie monitor in terms of like what's going on with the oxygen, like, I, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I I've seen like Evan Pacon talk about like respiration delivery and utilization as being potential points in that oxygen kind of circle of oxygen. You were talking about where we might see deficiencies what are what are you seeing when you look at a moxie or in, in your discussions with some of these guys yeah um yeah i mean the the people i've learned this stuff from evan's definitely one of those one of those guys um you know they do talk about these rate limiting factors and broken into respiratory um you know deliver utilization i sort of think of everything just as a utilization or a uh 
more delivery component because, and I just look at oxygen um, and maybe I simplify it too much, but it's like, if, if we're able to track oxygen in the muscle, right. And, and we understand that that's involved directly or indirectly in the process of energetics. And if we see that I'm performing, uh, that my output is whatever task I'm doing, if my output is going down, then I'm fatiguing. Right. And so if I look at oxygen, in addition to that output decreasing, if my oxygen levels are high and my output's decreasing, then I would think that there's probably a utilization issue going on, you know, at some level. Right. Um, because I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my ability to sustain the output that I'm trying to do with whatever task I'm trying to do. And there's oxygen left in the system and oxygen is like the gas that gets utilized that allows me to perform on the flip side of that. The oxygen is very low and my output's going down Then I'm thinking potentially there's a delivery element there because I'm just maybe not able to deliver the amount of oxygen necessary. When we get into the respiratory system, that's where, again, I, I, I can't really speak a ton on that because I don't do a ton on, I, I, I just don't, I haven't gone down the road of trying to experiment with sort of pulling things out from that standpoint and, and trying to just isolate respiratory variables. I haven't really done that um, just because I think you, in my environment, I just think you, you don't have enough time to, at least where I'm at right now. Um, it's like, you, you can't discount just the work that needs to be done because the thing that we can't lose track of is the task and the output necessary to perform the task, because that's literally what matters is our ability to perform. And, and what I've found is that different tasks require different conditions of the body um, when it comes to this like utilization or delivery um, component. So if I'm riding a bike and doing a bike interval, that's going to challenge my, you know, my, my system differently than if I'm running, um, which is going to challenge my system differently than if I'm doing, you know, uh, resistance training exercises and things like that, while these processes are all occurring, it's going to be different depending on the task and the output that I'm trying to sustain, because the goal of the body is just to meet the energetic demands. So as it pertains to like limitations, I think there's some like general trends that you see or dispositions that you see with certain athletes, like they seem to be high utilizers, right? Um, and we definitely have certain guys that I can think of right now that just anything that you do, any task that you give them, whether that's sub-maximal or maximal, they're going to utilize a strategy to uh, accomplish that, that is going to like take a ton of energy, right? And they're just gonna pull O2 um, out as quickly as possible. And then they're gonna drive their O2 down all the way. And then there's a few guys that have a little bit of a different disposition where if you have them do uh, different different tasks, they, they can't pull that O2 out all the way. Um, and so I think you, you just have these general dispositions of, of certain athletes. And then my, the way I think about it is like, how do they accomplish a bunch of different tasks? Like, you know, we're, we're looking at resistance training protocols, or if we're looking at the sport and doing certain things on, you know, on the court, or if they're doing, you know, cyclic conditioning protocols, like how are they managing all those things? So that's just sort of how I, how I think about it, but I haven't gone down the road necessarily to personally in this journey, I haven't gone down the road to like isolate these specific, uh, um, limitations because I just think they're so different under the different conditions. And I always have in my mind that output is critical to them being successful. So, you know, if, if I work hard, I need to use oxygen. Like if I do something really, really challenging, I have to utilize oxygen because that's what the output demands. So I just think it's understanding the balance and then maybe some of the general dispositions, which might lead into how you prescribe um, certain things 
depending on what you're doing, you know, like if it's intervals and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Cause I kind of always thought of it, um, not necessarily in, t- in terms of the task, which makes a ton of sense, but just the person too, and their mm. capabilities. But then you add in that other factor of the actual task. Like for example, I guarantee you, like you and I would hop on the bike. I know you bike. I don't, and I would get trash compared to you and so yeah. either, either I would imagine a probably a, a utilization way or something like that. I, I, I know I include, I lift a lot. So, so it's like one of those things where I can feel it when I run a mile, you know? So uh, yeah. same thing with these guys playing hoops, like you get them into lift and they probably don't have a great like occlusion strategy. I would imagine, you know, like if we're just throwing it out there, but then you, they go hoop and they're fine, you know, cause again, they're accustomed to that demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's very, that's very interesting. Um, yeah. Now, as far as, um, you and like some of the testing, I see you kind of like doing some conditioning testing on yourself and stuff like that. Are you finding, cause I, when I, when I look at conditioning tests and I see like your just standard ones in the book, I, I just think, why are we doing this? Like a lot of times it just don't make sense to me. So like, I would imagine you probably felt the same way about certain ones. Are you like finding tests that are pr- maybe providing you more value, like more information uh, were you to implement them in a team setting? Uh, what's kind of been your experience with some of this testing you've been doing? Yeah, definitely. I think um, you ask what, like, I always ask, like, what am I using the test for? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's in, in different environments that I've been in, I've used tests for different reasons, I guess. Right. So uh, I don't think I need to do a test at this level to determine if somebody is capable of playing the sport um, because they're at the, the highest level they've, you know, I think uh, what I what I need to do a, a, a test for would be to have some utility to my prescription and my understanding of how this person manages whatever that task is. For so, sure. so you know, I think of testing as uh, it should it should guide me towards interventions, right? So, the testing that that I'll do um, if I'm trying to look at some of the conditioning components, you know, and challenging some of these systems, it's like, okay, well, am I going to do a period of time? Is there a period of time during this training block where I'm going to utilize a certain modality um, that is advantageous to getting some adaptations I want from this individual that will hopefully support their ability to play sports? So if that's a bike, then what are the bike tests that are going to allow me to be more, uh, have more precision in my prescription to what they are doing? So it'll just depend on, on the what we're, I guess, what, what period of time we're in and what we're trying to accomplish, because I do think having some objective, you know, uh, there's, there's a, I'm big on objectives. And so I want to make sure that what I'm, what I'm training has some improvements. Um, so I want to be able to evaluate something and then train it over a period of time and then hopefully reevaluate to see if there's any improvement. So, um, a big one that, that we'll do is like there, if I'm using a bike, for instance, we'll do a five minute test. Um, and there's a lot of utility to the prescription of, of just seeing what somebody can do on a five minute test. And again, I'll layer the moxie on top of that. Um, we'll do some sprint tests, uh, repeated sprint test stuff. So yeah, it's a vague answer, but there's just, there's a lot depending on, it just depends on what we're trying to improve. Right. So for sure. Can you, can you give me like maybe a practical example you pulled out of one of these tests? Like maybe, maybe it's even on yourself or something like that. Yeah. So you know, one of the big ones, if we're, again, we'll just stay on energetics. One of the big ones is the, um, uh, the step test that they do. So like a four, one, four or five, one, five step tests. Um, and essentially you're looking at the interaction of, 
uh, well, okay, what the test is, is you're doing, a, if it's a 515, and this is something I've used in my own training when I was trying to improve my like endurance. Mm -hmm. uh, so a 515 would be, you take a certain percentage, if I'm running, for example, I take a certain percentage of like a 10K time. And so if my 10K time is, I don't even, I, don't, I literally don't even know my 10K time, <laughs> but like if, if I run like a, you know, a, a eight minute mile or something like that, or seven minute mile, then I take a certain percentage maybe of that mile time and I work at say like, I think it's like 44% and I do a five minutes at 44%. That's the five. And then the one is one minute rest. And then I repeat that same, uh, that same intensity. Right. So then I'm, I'm, I'm doing again, 44% of that. And then I rest one minute and then I up, I up the intensity. So then I'm working at like, I think it's like 65% of that, whatever uh, time that I have. And I do that twice. And then I just continue to step my way up intensity and I'm doing this with a, with a Moxie. So I did this with the Moxie and then you're looking at, you know, the interaction of, of the THB signal that you get from the Moxie, the SMO2 signal that you're getting from the Moxie um, and your heart rate. And you're just seeing how you're managing energy through the different, um, through the different steps of intensity. And you're just looking for, uh, I did it very simply. I'm just looking for what's the, what is the threshold of sustainable intensity for me? And when I was running, it was like literally like nine minute miles like that. Like if I went any faster than nine minute miles, I would start to deplete oxygen in a way that would um, it would just require me to utilize a much more higher threshold strategy to accomplish the, the running task. And so, OK, so what, what can I do there? If you're familiar with like some of the cycling literature where we talk about the zone training, like the Andy Coggin zone training, a big one is like zone two. So what is zone two? Zone two is the intensity I work at where I can basically I can sustain my output indefinitely. Like I'm, I'm under the threshold of intensity that will require me to deplete oxygen and have to decrease my output where, where things become unsustainable. So I was searching for my zone two when I'm doing these step tests, realizing that that's somewhere around a nine minute mile. So then when I do my long duration, like zone two runs where I'm utilizing, um, like I would just use nose breathing and just try to stay really relaxed and just increase my ability to like deliver, I guess, oxygen and not, you know, fry my nervous system and not have to decrease output. Um, that would be around that pace. And I would just work for a certain period of time at that pace. I would do like four or five runs and then I would retest. And you'd notice that you could actually push things from the bottom and really like you could increase that intensity. And I would try to just see how, how far can I drive that? And so for me, when I was doing this, I drove it from literally like nine minutes to like seven minute and seven thirty. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So you could really drive these things if you just understand where you're kind of where your thresholds are. And so that was something I used on myself. I haven't used that in sport here, but, um, cause I just, you know, these guys play basketball. Like if it was an endurance athlete, I'd probably definitely use something like that. But, um, but you, but, yeah. but just having that knowledge that, you know, you could improve like low and the, the quality of low intensity exercise and like just increase your window for what is low intensity. I mean, that's mm -hmm. still like kind of an arrow in your quiver for maybe a specific guy at some point. Definitely. Right. Yeah. yeah I, think, I think of like the, I mean, what it is, it's like the, if I think a lot of people are familiar with Joel Jameson's work and it's mm -hmm. like talk about this cardiac output and how valuable cardiac output is and, and, uh, or the cardiac, cardiac output protocols, I should say. Um, which is like this, this 130 to 150 heart rate is sort of how, uh, he would define yeah. it. And it's like, if, if I, if I worked at 130 to 150, I'm, I'm really, that's a very stressful stimulus for me if I'm running. Um, and so I think having a little bit more of an understanding of, okay, heart rate is one component 
of the equation, right, of this energy management process. And the culmination of all that is, again, the oxygen in your muscle. Like, how is your body actually utilizing this at the, at the tissue that's working? And so knowing that is like been really helpful because for me, my cardiac output stimulus, if you will, if it's the, again, the Joel Jameson world from stepping into that, it would have been much lower than what was, what was written and what was prescribed um, for me, you know, and, until I spent time developing that and sort of pushing it from underneath, it, it, it would have been too stressful. Um, the stimulus would have been too stressful. And then just to circle back to your point about the task, like let's, this is running, right? That you're talking yeah, about. Was, yeah. Yeah. So running. So let's say like, maybe you're a cyclist doing this with running. Mm -hmm. Obviously you could probably operate at that 130 to 150 much more comfortably as a, on a bike, as opposed to running on the street, maybe. And am I kind of like, yeah, I yeah. mean, yes, hundred percent. You'll see like, cause coordination is the interaction of all these things. Right. So yeah. your coordination is really dependent on your skills. Right. So if I'm, if I've done a skill over and over and over, I have much more, you know, I'm much more efficient at that. You know, I'm not a runner, so I'm a horrible, like I'm yeah, a horrible me neither, runner. Bro. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you chalk some of this up to just like, did I just, I probably just got, more efficient at running. Like, I don't know, you know, it's, yeah. but yeah. You know, some of these, you know, I think about the interface of like, of, of like these systems, the way they interact is so specific. So there's just, there's a specificity component to everything. I think is really important because you might just be bad at that task and it just takes time to coordinate your body's systems to be able to be more effective and efficient at that. So probably a huge part of it. For sure. No, that's extremely helpful, man. I, I, I feel like I'm still kind of in the weeds. Like, and this is the other thing, like at the end of the day, and most strength and conditioning settings I've been in, and I don't know about you, but like there's been very little uh, requirement or demand for uh, conditioning on the strength and conditioning mm -hmm. side of things. It's always a little bit more strength-based. I've definitely focused a lot on speed and, and I guess more of that like power high output end, but for strict conditioning, it's just been, in my experience and like wherever I've been in my career, it's just not been a big part of what I've had to do. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we can't kind of, hone our processes a little better. And like, again, especially here at P3, like occasionally we've had a guy since I've been here where I've gone down this rabbit hole enough as to where like, they'll be like, Hey, yeah, take him and do this thing on the bike with him. <laughs> Stuff like that. And it's yeah. like, I, I want to make sure that I I'm coming in, like understanding what, like at least having a basic understanding of where this person might be at based on yeah. some of the stuff you're talking about and where he might need to go and what the best course of action might be for him, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But, um, but yeah, man, no, that's, that's very cool. Very cool stuff. Um, so I, if, if we're thinking about this in terms of going forward with your guys, is there any, is there anything you guys are utilizing now with any of the, like the Moxie or any of this other stuff with these guys, or is there plans to kind of what's your thought process going forward to try to utilize this in your setting? Yeah. I mean, I'm man, it's the, I love the technology, uh, but I think anything that that sometimes there's there's a there's a time component to everything, right? We can only we only have so much time sure. with the athletes, and it still takes time. <laughs> and a willingness to, factor, I'm sure too. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely that, you know. But I, I just think of like there's there's times where I think certain tools are really useful, and then there's probably times where um, they're not as useful. Uh, in season, I don't really strap anybody up to. To this stuff um unless you know there's certain cases where where i will but for the most part i think just understanding uh what's probably most transformational is just really understanding how these systems interact to generate energy and then really 
and then really having a better idea as to the, the different protocols that I'm, I'm putting people through and how those challenge the energetics. Um, so I, I think if having a better understanding of all that allows me to maybe not need the technology in every, in every sense. Um, I know there's, there's, there's reasons why it could be really useful, but you just gotta, you always run into this time factor. And so it still takes time to put this thing on. It still takes time to analyze things. It still takes time to, you know, none of this stuff is just super seamless. So, mm -hmm. um, not necessary in all cases, but I think, you know, I've gone through some of my, the protocols that I really like to maybe build out some bio, some of these bioenergetic qualities. Um, and I've tested myself a million times on those and just to see how, what's actually occurring, you know? So if I'm doing, you know, high volume training, some of this like repetition method stuff, like what's actually occurring from an energetics perspective, if that's sort of the lens that I want to view this protocol through and try to build, build that out out for an athlete, you know, with different, um, exercises and tasks, then I think I have a little bit of a better understanding as to what, what some of those things, what's happening with some of those things. So it's just, it's helped me along that, along that sense. But, um, yeah, but I just, I definitely don't use it every day. So since it's, I feel like you, the bottom line is your processes are definitely more informed. So when you observe these guys now, like doing their sport, mm -hmm. let's say, can you start yeah. to maybe pick out since you see them play so often, can you start to pick out specific guys who are like, Oh, like that's interesting here. Like I know you have like GPS and all that stuff. So you can look at output, for example. Um, sure. And obviously it's very multifactorial and there's many things playing into maybe a lack of output, but um, yeah. have you been able to kind of like put more pieces together and kind of like figuring out what some of these players are composed of what their, their system is like because of this? That's kind of a vague question, but sorry. I just <laughs> yeah. No, I think I get where you're getting at. Uh, I don't know because I, you know, we definitely spend a lot of time talking about um, the demands. Like we we use Connects on here, so we're mm -hmm. looking at like the specific demands of the sport. Man, I don't know. That stuff's hard to make sense of because so so much of this is context. You know, it's mm -hmm. so context specific as to like what you know what is the demand of the of the context that they're in, right? So you know, we'll see different profiles of guys um depending on who they had to match up against that game you know or uh yeah. if we were behind that game or you know whatever um or if we're looking at practice data what the you know what was the situation that they were dealing with uh that they were in to you know accrue some of these variables so um i think again I, you have this general disposition in your mind as to like what this person's preference is if we're talking about energetics it's like there definitely is this utilization. I uh, like, I just like the extremes, right? Cause mm -hmm. there is definitely like utilization or delivery, um, you know, disposition for these guys. And so if you kind of understand that, then maybe that gives you a better glimpse into like what their general strategies are. But I think, I think more, more importantly, it's like, what, what are we doing in the weight room? That's challenging them uh, in, in different ways. And then how do they strategize to accomplish those things? I think that to me is like, that's where I spend most of my time thinking is if I'm doing, you know, depend if I'm doing a high bioenergetic training session, then, you know, what, what is this person going to do to deal with that stress? You know, how are they going to manage that based upon the tasks that I'm prescribing? I think that's where it just gives me a little more in, in, informed ability to help them out, um, you know, to, or just to help them with the strategy they use to, to accomplish that. So 
vague answer too. I don't know. The, it's a tough no, that's, that's just because my question was vague, but, <laughs> but, um, but um, as I'm asking it, I'm like, yeah, this is, this is not going to be concrete. <laughs> um, uh, that, that is interesting though. It's like, you know, we know when we watch these guys in the weight room, for example, like I've tried to see it here with some of the guys we've brought in. It's like, Oh, is he, is he someone like, okay, this is the point where oxygen became an issue, right? This is the point where, bioenergetics starts to really come into play mm. why was that you know mm. and so i guess like for me it's like the, i still ask why and i don't really have a clue as to the answer to that mm. i don't know do you do you feel like you have a clue to the answer to that when you watch these guys in the weight room perform things or no uh i mean i can't say like for sure right mm -hmm. that would yeah be, oh yeah 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 probably be a yeah i mean you know because i think we're always trying to to learn um I think in general, you're around your athletes enough, you realize what they're good at and what they're not good at. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of get inklings about the things that they're not good at that are limiting their ability to perform. Cause I think about like, you're trying to push performance or you're trying to just, you know, you're trying to push fatigue away. And so when I think about trying to push fatigue away, like that's mostly what's going to limit people. It's like, yes, there's outputs that need to be reached to be able to accomplish things. Like you need to be fast enough. You know, you need to be quick enough. You need to make good decisions. You know, you got, but it's like, you have to do that over long durations of time in the sport. And so it's like, I want to push fatigue away as far as possible. So um, if I do that, then I allow them to express those qualities at a high level. And so um, there's definitely things that challenge, like no one is like this battery that just keeps going. Everybody yeah. has these challenges where, and I think if you're around your athletes long enough, you start to realize, okay, they, they, they're really effective at these things, but they're not so effective at these things. Um, and then you just kind of pick the things they're maybe not as effective at, and then you just build those out to try to improve those. And so, um, and, and, and really at the end of the day, that all that's doing is just trying to prolong their ability to produce these yeah, elite, yeah. elite outputs in, yes. in the sport. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. is the, which is the goal. I mean, not even, not even elite sport. I mean, I'm definitely more biased to think of things through this bioenergetic lens because mm -hmm. I just think it's so important to understand. And I think we get, I, I used to get so caught up in like, if it was conditioning, it was running, you know, if it was conditioning, it was biking. Um, it's just not the case, you know, like everything has an energetic component to it. And so mm -hmm. I think understanding that uh, there's a lot of ways to build these things out. I think Joel Jameson presented probably the best like overview of that. Um, if you look at some of the lifting methods that he utilized to build some. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, you know, that's, I definitely found that to be the case. And so, you know, trying to push fatigue far away to allow them to express their abilities is like, I mean, that's, that's, that's where the money's made. I think, you know, I think there's probably more, you, you can make more progress in those realms than say trying to improve somebody's, you know, vertical jump. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? I just think there's a lot more uh, plasticity to these, to this, to these systems and these interactions. So I'm biased to think that, but, um, but yeah, I think uh, that's, that's kind of how I view things a lot of times. Yeah, no, I, I think that's beautifully said. And that makes a lot of sense. Even tying in the lifting piece now, it's, it's thinking about like, what do we want to do? Like what we do in here is going to tax the bioenergetic system. And I feel like a lot of times we, I know I didn't think about that a lot until I read Joel's yeah. book. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, and, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, that's where like kind of going back to the last question, kind of what we're getting at was if we think about that power duration relationship, you know, where it's like, okay, if I work for, uh, if I try to have these really high outputs, there's this trade-off of time that I'm able to sustain those outputs. And then if I want to, you know, it, it's just looking at that curve, right. Thinking about that curve and then realizing 
you know, how do you allocate training? Like this is, this is why this has been really helpful for me is because there is a motor component where you're trying to raise like peak force and impulse and these, these really top tier variables that are going to enhance this person's ability to just be explosive, sure. fast, powerful, all those things. But then again, there's this layer of capacity that they have to be able to express those qualities for long durations of time. So now when I think about training, it's like, okay, I have certain days, like if I break it down as a coach, I have certain days where I want to allocate training through the lens of trying to push those top tier variables up. So I'm trying to improve peak force. I'm trying to improve impulse. I'm trying to improve rate of force development. Those are the things that I'm really trying to improve. And so I'll use tools that allow me to do that. But then there's other days where now I want to be able to uh, build that, you know, have some metabolic variability and work at another part of that curve where I'm trying to, again, improve those abilities over, over a long period of time. And so that's how I think about allocating training now, where it's like, there'll be a day where we're working on motor qualities. And then there'll be a day we're working on energetic qualities. And those days could both consist of resistance training with the same exercise, you know, like it could literally be the same, very similar, uh, looking things from the outside, but the lens that I'm viewing that from, and the way that I'm prescribing the work to rest, and, uh, you know, maybe the way that I'm loading the exercise, for instance, um, is going to, is going to be dependent on what sort of, um, what sort of day it is and how I want to allocate that stress. And so, it could be, it could be something as simple as like, we'll do 10 reps of this at 60% load or three reps at 85% or something like that. Yes. hundred yeah. percent. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. it becomes really, I guess that's where I try to get is like, what's useful, right? Cause Ooh. as coaches, the key is to make better decisions. Like that's the key, you know, we can learn about all these things and, and they sound good, but like in general, you just have to make as best decision as you can when you're presented with a problem. And so for me, that's been a really useful way to, to allocate training to help me make better decisions is like, there's always this output and then there's always this capacity. And I just, I'm always balancing those two realizing that there is trade-offs. And so um, I just need to make better decisions. And that model helps me make, make better decisions. That's Important. honestly, that's extremely helpful. Like I like the way you, you've literally broken things into two things. It helps, helps out tremendously. And obviously <laughs> there are more factors and it's yeah. not the, at the end of the day, but at the end of the day, like you said, we need to make decisions as practitioners. We're not in research, right? So yeah. you can get bogged down in all that and try to figure it out, which Lord knows I'm guilty of that a lot. But at the end <laughs> of the day, like when I have to make a decision, I can't think in those terms anymore. It's exactly. gotta be boom or boom, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's exactly. awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Circling back, you mentioned the breathing, it, uh, like nasal breathing to improve, uh, I guess, your ability to operate at, uh, or just to make your low intensity abilities greater, I would, I would say. Let's just yeah. say it like that. Um, what have you kind of learned with that? I, I know for me personally, I've been playing around with this a lot. And in my head, like the biggest thing that I think would be interesting, and I, I've looked at a lot of the research and haven't, haven't seen much, would be how much aerobic work do we actually need to do given like the onslaught of it that like let's say I, I was a director at a d3 level and they just wanted so much of that stuff and it's like how much of that do we have to do if or how much can we cut of that kind of low intensity aerobic shuffling around could we cut if we limit or if we improve our quality of breathing through mm. low intensity exercise mm -hmm. you know i don't know what your thoughts yeah are. well I definitely think that there's enough information to support that a nasal breathing approach is probably more uh, effective at getting more oxygen onto the, you know, to the hemoglobin. 100%. Aids the transfer for sure. 
Yeah, I think there's enough there because you're, you know, um, you have, you're altering the temperature more effectively when you breathe through the nose versus the mouth. You actually get more molecules of air to the to lungs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're humidifying the air. There's like, there's just, there's a more effective approach, it seems like, to nasal breathe than to mouth breathe. But then I always go back to the task and it's like, well, if I'm doing something really hard. You have no choice. Yeah, even Patrick no McKeon says it in Oxygen yeah. Advantage. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, you have no choice. You have to, you know, bring as much air as possible and you have to increase the force that you bring the air in, which we can inhale really aggressively through our mouth using accessory muscles and also our nose. So it always, it's always that task, right. And that, that intensity of that task, that's going to determine, I guess, you know, um, how this person strategizes from a breathing standpoint. But when I think about like, I love using nasal breathing in the low, low threshold, like if we're doing like zone two rides or if I'm mm-hmm. doing, uh, if I'm out doing those runs that I was talking about, then I'll try to nasal breathe only because it's a great regulator of intensity. You know, you can't, like, if you go up a little hill, you'll notice that. And I say that because output doesn't matter as much at that intensity, right? It's, I, that's not what I'm going for mm-hmm. because if, if I'm trying to stay under this threshold of intensity where I'm sustaining, I could sustain this activity for a long period of time then I'd love to use a nasal breathing approach to help regulate that activity in real time. And that's what I've noticed it does because I don't, I don't care. I'm running like nine minute miles. It doesn't matter. (laughs) You're not setting records. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so it just helps me regulate that. And I love using that, especially with, uh, with athletes. I love using that approach. I think it's like learning how, because that's another way to just experience that you have this whole other way of, of, uh, you know, of respiration that I just don't think people pay attention to very often. So, um, so I think there's a time and place to use it, but in general, uh, you know, there's a lot I've gleaned from, uh, from understanding some of these, these breathing practices have been really helpful. So when you, you said you lower your, your mile pace to like seven, seven minute miles or something like that at zone two, seven or something like that. So does that mean you were still nasal breathing at seven thirty seven pace? Like, okay. Okay. So that's kind of what I'm getting at there is like, like, can we improve our ability to nasal breathe? Not at crazy high outputs. That's impossible. But, but yeah. at like, obviously you did. Do you feel like that improves your ability to do things at higher outputs or not really? It's just kind of that's the zone where you're seeing the benefits of that kind of thing. Uh, I think theoretically it makes you more efficient at higher outputs potentially. That's um, kind of, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it, it, it doesn't make me, be- like everything has a, everything has that, that balance, right. Of output mm-hmm. and time. So it depends on what I'm going after. It makes me more efficient, certainly at, at, at lower outputs. Um, so perhaps it, a longer duration further yeah. down the curve there. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um, but I don't know if that, I, I don't know how much that enhances. Like I, I, I look at, I have like a Pico meter where I do test my lung volume. It's like mm-hmm. a one rep max for your, uh, lung capacity. Oh, that's kind that, of dope. <laughs> that doesn't move. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty, I mean, it's, it's like a hundred, you gotta get it on eBay. It's like a hundred bucks from like China. Um, oh, nice. It's like a medical device, I think. Cause it's, you can buy it here. <laughs> but it's super simple. You just blow into it and it, it tells you. So that, when I track that, it doesn't, that didn't budge that much. So I'm guessing, you know, okay, these things all have specificity elements to them. So I don't know if it improved the, the, the higher output side of things, but theoretically it makes me more efficient, I guess. Cause yeah. if, I'm, if I'm able to get oxygen in more effectively, by nasal breathing, even at those higher outputs. And yeah, well, and there. if you do get to a point where the output becomes so high, you're forced to mouth breathe, which is 
everything I'm seeing, like even the people that swear by this are saying like, yeah, if you need to be do something intense or aggressive, like it's not possible. Mm-hmm. I know I see them always still recommending like, Hey, once you are done with that effort between yeah. that and the next effort, like utilize the strategy to aid in recovery. Because again, we are facilitating greater though, I guess what uh, delivery of oxygen to the tissue level. Right. Yeah. I think there's definitely that aspect of it. And bringing people's attention to that is important. So like in between intervals, um, it depends, but in between intervals, there's, there's certain athletes I'll try to bring their attention to their breathing and then make sure that they're make sure like I, I coach them to maybe utilize a nasal breathing strategy to help kind of reduce the, the stress that they're dealing with uh, post interval. And that hopefully facilitates some of that recovery. Uh, but I just think bringing people's attention to it is probably pretty important it's the because, biggest thing yeah <laughs> yeah it's like i just think people don't don't realize it um that you know that that is an effective way to to breathe it's just we're using this more higher stress um approach to at, at lower intensities right if we're mouth breathing when we're just sitting here talking that's maybe not the approach we should be taking we yeah. should have the strategy to be able to nasal breathe and be a little bit more effective so i, I just bring people's attention to it's probably important sometimes for sure. For sure. Eric, dude, thanks a lot, man, for, for coming on. I do really appreciate it. Was there any other topics you wanted to touch on that? Anything, anything I missed at all or, or uh, was that an exhaustive conversation? <laughs> no, that's great, man. Uh, no, I love this. I, I love this topic. I'm like very passionate about it. I think uh, there was something that we were talking about earlier that sort of like, uh, like some of the triggered in my head of something I was thinking about, which is like tension really changes these things, like changes the energetic process. Like we talk about, like when you watch somebody perform an exercise, especially like, um, and you see them kind of tense up when you know that the, the, the threshold of that exercise shouldn't be that high. Like if you're doing something for like 15 reps, 20 reps, and you're seeing somebody and it's like a local exercise, if you're doing like a, a hamstring curl or a knee extension or something and you're like seeing that, like global tension. Yeah. You're seeing people like you know, grab on, hold their breath, you realize like the more and more, again, I think utilizing the moxie is really like, oh yeah, that does matter. Like it changes everything. It changes the energetics completely. And so I think realizing that there is this, there is this balance of like uh, the more tension we create, the more stressful the situation we end up making it because it's going to limit blood flow and it's going to limit, or it's going to challenge our oxidative process to, you know, use that to generate energy. So sometimes we don't want that to happen. And I think a lot of times what I've realized is like a lot of these athletes, they rely on that, you know, they rely on that strategy to accomplish the task and it's not subtle. Like it's really not subtle. Like you see big, <laughs> you see big changes. So it, it's, it's just appreciating that tension. That's something that I don't know what it was that we were talking about earlier that made me think of like, you know, if you didn't have this technology, just appreciate that that really does change things. Like if you wanted to implement some like lower threshold uh, strategy to an exercise and you wanted somebody to carry that out for long periods of time and they're holding their breath and they're tensing their neck and their shoulders. And they, you know, it's like that, that you're making something like the body doesn't know the difference of like what you're doing. It doesn't know that you're, you got weight in your hands and it's this exercise and you're calling it, you know, it's you're like, Oh shit, we're bracing. Like, yeah, it's like <laughs> get oh, ready for this Mack truck. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it, it's not, it's not subtle and it does change a lot. So I think that was something that forget what we were talking about that made me think of like that's probably something that that we should pay attention to so yeah and i would imagine like like you said you, you've got a moxie adapter like i'm sure you're seeing a much greater uh like limitation of or i guess you're seeing probably like greater utilization of oxygen much much swifter than it needs to be like we're not efficiently 
utilizing our bioenergetics to, to get the task done, right? Yeah. Well, there's, yeah, because we don't talk about like uh, some of the, like the biophysics of things, but like, there's like a space component to everything, right? These vessels, like these blood vessels run yeah. through tissue, these nerves run through tissue. And when we contract muscle, we compress tissue. And so it's like, when you compress tissue, you limit their ability to, to move. And so, you know, it's, it's required for any activity, but, you know, we talk about this contraction relaxation balance and there's definitely a balance there that, um, that matters and it matters highly from the way our body perceives the stress. So it's definitely important. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great stuff, man. I, I definitely appreciate all your insights, like, especially the way you just broke it down extremely simply. And, uh, I think that's very helpful for someone like myself who's still in the weeds with the whole thing. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so, so I appreciate that, man. Uh, where can the, where can the people find you on, on social media, any projects you're working on, whatever you want to plug, have at it, man. Uh, Coach e. Schmidt, Instagram. Um, oh. <laughs> that's it. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of like being that dude that doesn't post that much um, about what, you know, about training stuff, but I'll try to do a little bit more, but you can find me on there. It's the easiest way. Cool. Cool. And, uh, the coffee game, I know we talked about it off the air, but the yeah. coffee, if you want to see what kind of coffees he's sampling, uh, the listeners could just check out the Instagram and see you even rate them. Oh yeah. I'll rank them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got a good ranking system. First sip. It's called the first sip. Uh, I don't even know what it's called. First uh, sip. Are, are, are you, are you doing the pull the bar stool bit there? One yeah, bite. exactly. <laughs> One bite. Yeah. Everybody knows the rules. <laughs> yeah, stealing from Dave Portnoy, man. And it's like, you know, I mean, you only eat pizza so often people drink coffee every day. We should be, That's a good you know, point. This That's a good a, point. Dude, you might want to pitch this when your career is over. You could just go work for Barstool. If, I don't know if you want to go that route, but you can work for Barstool. Yeah, a good fallback for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. Actually, man.